Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale January 18, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M stands for mattresses. You know, I've had our mattress for about 10 years. I think it's time to get a new mattress. Well, do I have an ad for you, Ryan? Because this podcast was brought to you by... (laughs) Just kidding. This is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we give you some details, some cool stuff, some reasons to check out every new Marvel comic each week. We'll give you our three personal picks of the week, the three books that... We just say, you gotta buy these books because they're the ones that we have to buy. Oftentimes there's more that we stand for, but we've we've limited it to three. And then we'll also tell you a bit about every other issue coming out this week. We'll give you um, our favorite non-spoilery things about each issue. And we'll do that with an award. We're going to give an award pulled from a quote that we have this week. Uh, There's a whole award system. If you haven't heard the show before, if you have, you know what we're talking about. Then we'll run through the Infinity Comics hitting Marvel Unlimited. Some highlights from issues that are new to Marvel Unlimited this week. And picks from collections that are on sale this week. And we even do a reading club. Yes. And this week, we're going to do a little rebroadcast of our chat with Kara Mahorn, um, who we did a reading club about Wakanda Forever, which is a collection of three one-shot issues with the Dora Milaje uh, working alongside, teaming up with Spider-Man, the Avengers, and the X-Men. It's a great story. Uh, We're going to revisit it just because, you know, we have Marvel Studios, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever hitting Disney+, Plus, but also because... I love this reading club. I love Karima. We need to get her back on. Yeah, totally. That would be delightful. All right, let's get into things, starting with our picks of the week with Avengers Forever number 13. I feel like a broken record because every time we have an issue of Avengers Assemble, the big crossover that's going between Avengers and Avengers Forever, we can't help but pick it. Whatever. I don't care. The books are that friggin' great. They're so good. This issue is by Jason Aaron, Aaron Cooter, Mark Farmer, and Frank Martin. That's your writing and art team, the whole storytellers, with lettering by VC's Corey Pettit. The issue is called The War of Wars. And I was reading this, and we, we in this issue, we have the battle for Infinity Tower, um, where the focus point of the Multiversal Avengers is, and you've got this army of Mephistos coming to attack the tower and all this kind of stuff. But it reminded me as a big uh, Tolkien nerd of the Battle of Pelennor Fields at Minas Tirith in the Lord of the Rings Return of the King, the, the, the big final battle that many think of before they go to Mordor. I got to say it like that. Mordor. <laughs> uh, before they go to Mordor. Uh, it, it, it's one of those battles that like swings from side to side. You got forces that come in and then it gets crazier and it's like, oh, we've got, you know, back up here and then, oh no, the, these guys and ah, and then there's still more to come because of course, after that big battle, there's just more fighting. It, it just feels epic. It feels like this could have been our giant crossover event and yet it takes place between two incredible Avengers titles. Oh, and then there's so many action sequences where I'm like, I can't believe they did that in like the best ways. Like my favorite is the granddaughters of Thor coming in with all these hammers and just unleashing hell. And it's it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a big hammer fall. The way that they structure that, where how they're gathering all these hammers, why they've done it. There's this air of sadness and despair with menace and intensity and excitement all rolled into one. They're war hungry. Yeah, it's, oh my gosh, it's so good. Uh, 
early on, we open the issue with the old man Logan Phoenix character from the end of Jason Aaron's Thor stories, like being just murdered and dismembered by the Dark Phoenix that is spoilers if you've not read it yet if you're not caught up skip ahead mystique which was a great reveal so good but in that page it references get mystique a storyline i've talked about a whole bunch on the series it is jason's first full wolverine stories wolverine issues 62 through 65 from 2008 by jason aaron and ron garney and so good i actually started flipping through it and had to stop myself from rereading all of get mystique while in the middle of reading this because i was just so excited go check that out for those of you who liked our reading club about jason aaron's ghost rider he does wolverine and ghost rider concurrently at the same time that's how he starts his big career at marvel it's so good too i mean we'll definitely link it down in our show notes too so if you want to check that out be sure to check down there yeah. Also in the issue, you got Mangog, Jasmine mentioned the granddaughters of Thor, Old Man Phoenix Wolverine, all kinds of stuff. And most importantly for this entire storyline of all the Avengers from across the multiverse and the masters of evil across the multiverse all coming together with Mephisto's at the heart of things, Avenger Prime's identity is revealed. You'll read it and you'll not be disappointed at all. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have my first pick of the week, which is Wasp issue number one. It's written by Al Ewing with art by Cassia Nee. Uh, Colors by KJ Diaz and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Okay. I love Wasp. I've always loved Wasp. She was always one of my favorite characters in Avengers, like from the the early books that I read. And just because she's always not just necessarily the comedic relief in that book, but just very sassy. And she's so badass and so cool. And I've been wanting a solo Wasp, like a Janet Van Dyne solo book for a minute. And like we've gotten pages here and there and it's been great, but This truly feels like it's her story. And I'm so happy to get this because the first thing that is revealed is like her friendship with, you know, Edwin uh, Jarvis, which is great. Like, I love that relationship that they continue having. And they're, they're rebuilding this like new rooftop bar in New York City. And they're trying to figure out a name for it. And just like the conversation that's happening is just so perfect. It reminds me of that downtime that we would see in like classic Avengers stories when they're in Avengers Mansion. But further, we get to see her relationship with Nadia continue to develop. She's kind of taken her on as a stepdaughter. And it's made very clear here how proud she is of her stepdaughter and like how much she's just like setting up for her success and like just rooting for her. And I love seeing this type of stuff. We get the inner monologue of Janet Van Dyne throughout this book. And like, it's so adorable how proud she is of Nadia. Like at one point, she's talking about how Nadia has been, you know, operating girl and She's like, yeah, you know, it started off as a small club, but like now it's a whole like international like scientist community that supports women in STEM. And I'm like, ah, oh, I love you, Janet. And she's just like, no big deal. Like it's, you know, that's what all girls around this age do. And I'm like, keep going, keep going. And it's, it's really cool to see that type of relationship and how it's evolved over the years. But my absolute favorite thing in this book is that Whirlwind is the main antagonist here. And mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with Wasp and Whirlwind's baggage, It's probably one of my favorite things in the Marvel Universe because he is a total creep. He has an obsession. He stalked her in the past. I mean, they were getting involved in fights with Hank Pym, too, involved because he was just jealous. He wanted to be, you know, Janet's, I guess, love interest, which was never going to happen if you're creeping on her to begin with. But but here is like Whirlwind coming back and you're like, okay, what's going on? And when we find out what's actually happening... It's really funny because we get this moment of revelation where Whirlwind is trying to be like, look, I've done the work. I'm done with this, but I have to take care of this business. I don't want to spoil 
what happens here, but I'm very excited to see this book. And it's clear that Al Ewing is like a fan of the same Wasp and Janet Van Dyne stories that I am, and I'm here for it. Yeah, it is a perfect introduction to the characters, and then you'll want to go read more. Love that. How much did you love Russell Dodderman's costume variant? Don't get me started. <laughs> like, if you're going to pick one character in the Marvel Universe to do a costume variant for, like, God bless your soul if you choose Janet Van Dyne, because that girl's had like a bajillion costumes throughout it's the, the years. It's the most packed variant he's done. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Last pick of the week is Punisher number nine. I mean, look, I'm giving you double dose of Jason Aaron because they're that damn good this week. And there's some really great other titles that we're going to talk about soon, but Punisher 9 has been sticking with me. This is book two of the King of Killers, the the big storyline about the Punisher, aka Frank Castle, becoming the fist of the hand as the most prolific killer of all time. And it goes into his history. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Again, it's written by Jason Aaron, art by Jesus Saiz and Paul Azaceta, colors by Matt Hollingsworth, lettering by VCs Corey Pettit. And there's so many things I want to talk about here. There is this big swerve that happens where I was reading the book. I was like, oh man, are we, are we doing this? Are we doing this? And then we don't do it. And I was like, oh, you guys got me. You guys got me. It was really good. Some big story stuff that they pushed to the edge. It all makes sense, but it could have mm-hmm. made sense if in any way they went. I'm being very vague because I don't want to spoil anything. It's really cool. There's a line in here, which we're not using for our quote, but I wanted to pull it out. It's quote, you do not judge a man's waking life by what he does when he is sleeping, which I thought was a really cool quote. It feels like something I would have read somewhere or just Jason thought of it when he was just, you know, being Jason Aaron, writing his books. We also got to shout out the incredible art. Paul Zaseta does the flashback scenes and they're very intense and they're very visceral in a lot of ways with his cool style of art. But Jesus Saiz is on another damn level in this. There's three consecutive double page spreads in the beginning and four double page spreads at the end that depict a giant battle between the Punisher in the hand and Ares, the god of war and his followers. And it isn't used to like show you splash pages. It is just used to give Jesus like a wider space to tell the story. And it really does make it feel bigger, feels more cinematic. You're getting to these and you're going one after another. You just feel like you're pulled into this harrowing, incredible battle. And it is intense. This is, of course, not a book for children, but it is damn good. There's also big, deep roots for this title in the Marvel Universe. It has effects on a number of characters. Aside from the big battle storyline that's going on with Punisher, there's superheroes sort of coming together to be like, Frank Castle is doing something that maybe we should pay attention to, which I think is a smart thing for them. And also the worst idea for them, because who knows how that's going to shake out. Damn, this book is good. If you've not been reading Punisher, there's a whole bunch of issues on Marvel Unlimited. Catch up and get into this right now. All right, that's it for our picks of the week this week. Now we got to talk about awards. Ryan, mm-hmm. do you remember what last week's award name was? Sure do. It was the Carnage Knows How to Party Award. So we haven't gotten a winner yet, which is wild to me. I don't know if it's the carnage of it all that threw people off, but it's not in Carnage. Reminder to take a screenshot 
or a picture of the page so that we, we know that you found the, the actual panel, not just guest. So we're going to talk about this week's award name. If you do find last week's award name, you can still submit it. We'll give you a shout out next week. We also got some emails here from some other folks. We got an email that didn't make it into last week's show from Abby Frey, but Abby found the panel on Scarlet Witch and said, quote, I don't think I read much with her before, but Jasmine's definitely right. Sarah Pakeli is one of the greatest. Sarah is the best. Abby, I feel like you get me. Yeah. Love, love, love it. Uh, also, Happy New Year to Joe Hoffman, who also read Scarlet Witch number one and was very excited to find the award quote. And then Richard Lee sent us an email and said, I just wanted to let you know that the holiday test kitchen cookies are scrum diddly umptious. They are probably the biggest cookies I have seen come out of my oven. Hope you all get to make them sometime yourselves. And okay. uh, then uh, Richard shared a great photo of those big, yeah. delicious cookies, plus a really cool Marvel collage in the background, and a little gingerbread Funko Thor for perspective. Okay, I just need to say, this email, like, I'm very happy for you, Richard. Like, I love this. <laughs> but it absolutely devastated me when I opened it because I didn't want to say anything. I was going to mention it to on the pod, but I tried to make these cookies with my sister over the mm-hmm. holidays yeah. and they did not come out. They were like, <laughs> they were like the venom version of Aww. Richard Lee's like cookies. They were so sad. I was like, I'm just going to blame the recipe. It's not me. And then here comes Richard like, Hey, I made these exact same cookies and they look delicious. It's not fair. Well, good job, Richard. Sorry. Yeah, I'm Jack. proud of you. All right. Well, we've got to get into this week's award name. What do we got? This week, we are giving out the My Therapist Was Proud of Me. Not is, was. We're going to be giving that award out today to all of this week's books. Yeah. If you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you're among the first, I may send you a surprise fun thing. Who knows? Please, of course, mark your emails and your tweets. Okay. To read so we can mention you and read it on the show. Again, that award name is my therapist was proud of me. Find out what it's from next week. But now let's get into our new comics. Jasmine, kick us off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. First up, we have Alien number five, and I'm going to give my My Therapist Was Proud of Me award to Astrid. I'm not going to say why. I'm going to leave that to you guys. But man, is this book full of twists and turns. Like, it saved them all for just this one issue, and it's Ooh. it ripped me to shreds. All right. We've got Dark Web X-Men number three, which very, very much... I'm just going to say it. it's my honorary fourth pick of the week for me. It's just so high up on my list. It's so... Good. It is really about Jean Grey and Madeline Pryor coming to terms with themselves if they can. They they hash their business out here. It's a huge part of Dark Web, the storyline between the X-Men and Spider-Man. It's a huge game changer of an issue, but most importantly, it is so emotionally and psychologically moving. All the things between Madeline and Jean coming to the fore in here, I was like, choked up, especially because a lot of it is about being a parent, being a part of a family, all that stuff. But all of that said, I am going to give my therapist was proud of me award to Forge Duding. He's got a little flute and he's duding right in the beginning of the book. And it made me so happy, but good Lord, everybody should be reading this title. Jerry Duggan, you are a beautiful bastard. All right. Next up, we have Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man, issue number four. And I have to give it to Juan Ferreira. He gets my My Therapist Was Proud of Me award because I was trying to pick one. There's multiple pages here. Like there's an entire fight sequence with these demonized Avengers that is just 
absolutely fantastic. But there is this one other page where there's like a timeline of Peter Parker's life that is just gorgeous. It, there's so many panels that I could just like pick out and like I could just stare at for hours because there's so much going on. So for that, Juan gets my award. Hell yeah. We've got issue three of Deadpool, another book I could have picked as my pick of the week. Uh, I want to shout out the variant cover by Todd Nock and Rochelle Rosenberg, which has Agent X on the cover. If y'all have never read Agent X, it's so good. It's on Marvel Unlimited. It was this book that took over after Deadpool uh, back in the early mid 2000s. And it was a wild ride. Really great how that character sprang up and what it meant to Deadpool. Anyway, this has actually become a cute romance book with tinges of horror and dark, dark humor. There's so many moments in here I could give my award to, but I will give the My Therapist Was Proud of Me award to a worried flamingo. Um, There's just this whole scene in the zoo, which every part of it could get an award (laughs) mention, but there's a really great shot of a worried flamingo that Martin Cocolo draws. And I was like, great job. I want to give an honorary award to all the feels in this book because it's like a secret romance book. I see what you're doing, Alyssa Wong. I see what you're doing. I'm here for it. Anyway, next up we have Hulk number 11 and this story keeps getting wilder and wilder. And in this issue, we get to see Hulk participate. He essentially gets challenged by all his worshipers to a game of Godball. What is Godball? It's the thing that I'm going to give this my award to. It gets my, my therapist was proud of me award because the rules are pretty simple but the actual ball that they play with is a dead planet, which I think is insane. And it's it shows. And like they, the fact that they can go through multiple of these and just go find another one is even more bonkers. So it gets my award for that. All right. We've got Immortal X-Men number 10. Hey, guess what? Could have been another pick of the week. It's so great. <laughs> this one, each issue of Immortal X-Men focuses on a member of the Quiet Council, the ruling sort of community council of Krakoa. This one focuses on Xavier in so many ways. You're getting Charles's narration throughout the book, which is fascinating and upsetting and so good. It's also a chase book and it's a wild murder book. There's so many things going on. I do want to shout out. There's a callback to Uncanny X-Men by Kieran Gillen. If you've never read that, read uh, specifically Uncanny X-Men number 14 has a great look at uh, Sinister London, which shows up in this one. And if you are playing Marvel Mm -hmm. Snap, you know Sinister London is one of the the best locations. When you get Sinister London, you're like, oh, yeah, this match is about to get real interesting because it's just like cloning, cloning, cloning. But anyway, go read Uncanny X-Men by Kieran and bunch of great artists that happens in here i will give the my therapist was proud of me award to the final page which literally i i wrote down in my notes what the <laughs> because i was just like how what yeah this this book man this book fun stuff all right next up we have invincible iron man issue number two and ryan i was telling you this offline but i love that this is a secret uh riri williams book it's a secret mm-hmm. like low-key undercover Ironheart book and I'm here for it because in this entire issue we get a team up between Ironheart and Iron Man but the entire time it's just Ironheart giving Iron Man like all this crap like he's very much an old head in this book and she's just like ripping on him for everything whether it's him being the main character on the internet and TikTok versus like him having villains who are named Living Laser which absolutely loved having Living Laser in this book I love him he's one of my other like favorite D-list like Avenger villains alongside Whirlwind, where it's just like, yes, his name is Living Laser. Yes, he gets a new glow up in this issue, but he's still just the weirdest, like just <laughs> random 
yeah. villain you could possibly imagine. And he definitely gets my My Therapist Was Proud of Me award today. We've got Namor, The Submariner, Conquered Shores, number four. I could have picked this one too. It was really good. Lots of good philosophy about humanity from writer Christopher Cantwell. But I'm going to give the My Therapist Was Proud of Me award to, I guess it's like the last half of the issue, the last eight or 10 pages is just so intense. My mouth truly dried up reading it. I was like captivated by the action. You've got Namor, there's Human Torch in here, uh, Captain America, and a series of events that goes down and what it means to the future of this, you know, dystopian future of the Marvel Universe. If you are a fan or at all interested in Namor, who he was, who he is, and who he could become, this is such a great damn all right, next up, we have Peter Parker and Miles Morales, Spider-Man Double Trouble, number three. And it makes me so angry that this is the penultimate issue because I adore this series. And at the end of it, you realize there's only one more issue to close out the story. And I, I want this book to keep going forever. Like this team up of writers is fantastic. We got Vita Ayala and Mariko Tamaki on it. And they just know how to pull all the strings, how to make things really, really funny. And there's this one bit in this book where there's a keynote speaker that's appearing at... Mm -hmm. uh, villain con and they are a lot bigger than the rest of their limousine and so it is good. probably the funniest gag you just keep seeing this limo on its way and you know who it is by the time you see the limo because it's like almost like decorated the same as like this character's costume and it's just so funny and it even pays off at the end when the, the limo driver ends up being an aim agent and he's just like oh my god i can't believe i just had to drive that this guy around and it's so so funny so for that that AIM agent, because I can't imagine having that job, that AIM agent gets my My Therapist Was Proud of Me award today. Well said. All right, we've got Spider-Man The Lost Hunt number three. This issue, this book dealing with a time period where Peter Parker and Mary Jane were uh, outside of New York. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on. And it really gets very psychological in this issue. I want to give the My Therapist Was Proud of Me award to the Mindscape art per delivered in this issue by Kyle Hotz. It is straight fire. It is nasty and gnarly and creepy as it should be is what Spider-Man is going through in this issue is very, very messed up. I also really like the sequence with Mary Jane reflecting on how she's worrying about Peter the same way that Aunt May was worrying hmm. about Peter back yeah. in the day. Sweet. All right. Next up, we have Star Wars Bounty Hunter number three, and I cannot not give it to Valance in this issue because I feel like this has been something that's been building up for a while and... He just goes so ham on this issue. It's not even funny. The things that he does, it's going to be very hard to take back. And by the end of this issue, it's like you already know that the next issues are going to be huge. So Valence gets my My Therapist Was Proud of Me award. Mm -hmm. Over to Star Wars Han Solo and Chewbacca number nine. I want to give my My Therapist Was Proud of Me award to just the issue itself, which is a strange thing to say, but the issue really feels like a good and proper Han Solo and Chewbacca adventure. It's fast moving. There's double crosses. There's fun banter. She talks about luck and plans and revenge. It's quippy. It feels like it was pulled from uh, like an unmade Han Solo and Chewbacca movie. It just feels very natural. All right. Next up, we have Strange number 10 and... I adore this book. I've always been a fan of Clea Strange. I've always been a, f a fan of her team-ups with Doctor Strange. Um, mm -hmm. but one of the things I never cared for was the way that like Doctor Strange would dismiss her. He would always be like, I'm better than you. I know what I'm doing. Get out of my face. And then this issue, that all kind of comes to a close. Um, we get this like true love story. We see like Doctor Strange really like not necessarily being a cheerleader, but advocating for her and like looking to her for help. And 
he realizes that he can't do this without her at the end. So for that and for the love story that happens in this issue, like the last page gives me so many feels and I cannot wait to see this story continue in Doctor Strange number one. For that, it gets my My Therapist Was Proud of Me award. Yeah. On to Venom number 15, which is also a dark web crossover tying in what's going on with Eddie, with what's going on with Dylan, the Brock family in here, getting a lot of things going on. If you're a Venom reader, you're catching up on all kinds of stuff. It ties right into the bigger storyline that's been going on with Venom, but also seeps into dark web really cool ways. So there's lots of fun stuff here. There's a big introduction of a character in this issue, which is going to have their own book, uh, Red Goblin, showing up big time in here. But I'm going to give... The My Therapist Was Proud of Me Award to the variant cover by Benjamin Sue. It is red and black and is one of the most striking covers I've seen in a long time. If you are a variant hunter out there, spend the money. Get this one. Holy moly. I want a poster of it. And I'm not even a huge Venom guy. Speaking of love stories, Wakanda number four has a love story that centers around Tosin, which is a character that we met in John Ridley's Black Panther run. Um, He was slowly introduced there, and here we get to see him in full action. Like, it's an issue dedicated to him, but also, like, the world that revolves around him and Wakanda. The thing that I love about this story is that it explores, you know, the different factions of Wakanda, right? We have Tosin, who comes from this very, like, anti-magic, anti, like, mostly culture rooted in science, but more rooted in, like, the... Less big science, more just like, here's what we can do right now in, with our current environment. And we have a team up with Kimei, who is a almost like a sorceress. Um, so she's like the antithetical version of Tosin here. And their love story is very much a Romeo and Juliet type love story. And it's just happening in this like small little corner of Wakanda. And for that, I, I have to give it my, my therapist was proud of me award. Heck yeah. All right. Those are the new issues out this week. We also have a bunch of collections. Got to shout out the reprints, the new editions of some old school What If volumes, the two omnibuses for What If the original Marvel series, then What If classic volumes two and four getting new editions. I love those. We've talked about them many, many times. So go check those out. I got to shout out volume five of X-Force by Benjamin Percy. I mean, oof, oof. Ooh, ooh, Fantastic Four by Jonathan Hickman, The Complete Collection, Volume 4. Guess we had to reprint that one. I can't wait to have that one in my hands. Terrific comics. Over on Marvel Unlimited, we have a bunch of Infinity Comics hitting the digital app. We have X-Men Unlimited 70. We have Spider-Verse Unlimited, number 33. Avengers Unlimited, number 29. Marvel's Voices, issues number 35 and 36. Avengers Electric Rain, issue number 12. Love Unlimited, number 33. And Alligator Loki, number 17. Look for a cameo of Alligator Loki in one of this week's new print comics. I digital love that. if you read digital. Yeah. It was great. It was really It great. makes me wonder like if he just hangs out there all the time. Sure. Why not? Alligator yeah. Loki does what Alligator Loki wants. All right. Uh lots of Avengers, X-Men, Eternals, Axe, Judgment Day, Tie-ins, X-Force, Wolverine. You've got Axe issues of Death to the Mutants, Eternals, Iron Fist whole bunch more uh immortal x-men legion of x lots of cool stuff and big shout out namor the submariner conquered shores number one is now on marvel unlimited this week go check it out yeah yeah also there's a great shuri story in wakanda issue number one mm-hmm. which leads to our next reading club segment with caramel horn where we're talking about the dora milaje and their team up with spider-man the avengers and the x-men in wakanda forever All 
right, Ryan, I'm going to kick us off on this one because I am so excited to talk to our guest this week, Kara Mahorn, about not only Wakanda Forever, a short limited series uh, around the Dora Milaje, but also her her new book, which is called The Black Panther, The, the Protectors of Wakanda. Um, which is essentially a Dora Milaje like handbook. Like if you were to be in an issue, like an actual Dora Milaje in training, you would get this book handed to you, and it, and it gives you all the like the fun tidbits and Easter eggs. And like Karima has been a guest on our the History of Marvel Comics Black Panther podcast, where we got to talk about the history of Black Panther. And I wish I had this book before uh, we recorded that because there were so many little Easter eggs in here and so many things about the inner workings of the Dora Milaje and. I'm just going to inter- like get her to jump in here because I'm so excited to talk to her. Karima, welcome. Hi, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here to talk to both of you. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, Ryan. Hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. We're going to get into the door a whole bunch. Um, we're going to get into some really great stuff. The thing that was, I was looking at when um, the these Wakanda Forever issues came out, because it's an interesting thing for anybody who wants to read along with us on Marvel Unlimited. I'm going to try and get it, make it a little bit easier for you because um, they are three one shots, but they are one mm-hmm. connected story. So in Marvel Unlimited, they're not grouped together. You can also check the show notes. We'll have them each hyperlinked. Thank you. These came out June, July, and August of 2018, and the first issue, which was Amazing Spider-Man Wakanda Forever, came out June 27th, 2018, right alongside the second issue of uh, Black Panther by ta Coates of the second story, like the the big overall uh, intergalactic empire of mm-hmm. Wakanda storyline, which was um, ta Coates and Daniel Cunha, and you know, so you we've had at that point that first amazing run of Black Panther and reestablishing the Dora and so many things that have been going on, um, and, but really also changing some status quo stuff right before this. Not to mention like World of Wakanda, where we got you know some of the the one shot stories from other characters within Wakanda that aren't necessarily you know the Black Panther and the royal family. Yeah, and this series was actually inspired me a lot when Marvel asked me to write Protectors of Wakanda, History and Training of the Dora Milaje. I was really excited. And then I was also kind of (laughs) terrified because I was like, okay, but wait, where is this history of them? There hasn't been anybody to put together this history of these women sort of sequentially. They're always there when T'Challa or T'Chaka are there. They're always in Wakanda, but we've never seen sort of like, how does one become a Dora? Mm-hmm. What do they do when they're not in Wakanda? And so it's really interesting. I was I knew I was going to go back to this comic because that's what the Dora are doing. Like mm-hmm. they're in New York. They're not in Wakanda, but there's protocol that they have and there's things that they're doing that still relate back to their training. And I just found this series in particular to be integral into some of the research that I was doing to create my book. And I also, like Ryan said, it was a bit of a hunt because they're all one shots, even Mm -hmm. though technically they're a series. Uh, Marvel loves their number ones. And so... And so there was a lot of number ones, but what was interesting about it is when you read them all, if you do get them, 
and you do get a chance to read them sequentially, it's a very interesting arc. And Nettie Okorafor, who was the main author for all of them, uh, also puts one one of the characters that I think uh, in Black Panther that's always been kind of, didn't always get her due, Nakia. Yeah, she puts her to rest in a very positive way. She's always been like, oh, she's just crazy. Yeah, I know. know? (laughs) And and like, so it's something that I wanted to talk about Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, going through, for the history of the Black Panther podcast, I had to read every single issue of Black Panther, um, all the runs, a bunch of the different like appearances where he was in um and that was one of the things like i loved christopher priest's run on black panther but that was always something that like just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth where it's like okay like can we get a little bit more on her as a character not just like you said like treating her as like a, a crazy woman and her character is so rich and i was very sad that we never got to go back to that but then when i got to this series i was like oh why haven't we like talked about this more like i was very shocked and very like grateful that they like you know that Nettie actually like you said put nakia to rest um i mean i wish she was still alive but spoiler alert but i'm glad that she explored that story the thing i like about Nettie's work in the wakanda universe here her work on uh shuri her work on black panther love long live the king is she talks a lot about people who are not t'challa mm-hmm. she talks about you know, the mute zone. She talks about people who don't always agree. She talks about, and I'm not discounting anything, you know, a shout out to Roxanne Gay for, you know, World of Wakanda and all the work that, you know, she and her team did. But Nettie sort of got into the nitty gritty of Wakanda as an African nation. And that was something I was also able to tap into. And I love how she deals with Mimic 27, which is specifically a vibranium that is very specific to the Dora Milaje story. Mm -hmm. Also looking at the Dora as they're moving through, like we've got to get Nakia, we've got to get her to calm down. We've also got to get this vibranium back. Mm-hmm. And we're also have to deal with the collateral damage right. that she's wreaking on everybody. And so it starts in Spider-Man, like Ryan said, and then X-Men, and then we bring it back. And even and T'Challa does make an appearance, you know. They are all like the Dora Milaje in an amazing Spider-Man comic, one in like the X-Men comic, and the last one's in the Avengers comic. And like you said, T'Challa makes an appearance, but like even though they are like not the book title characters, like they are the center character. And like there are multiple moments. Like I like the first issue with Amazing Spider-Man was something that was very refreshing to me because he like takes the back seat and he's just like, all right, like you guys clearly know what to do here. You know what's going on. Like you just tell me what you need to me to help with. Like to the point where like at the end of the story, the door are like, oh, we gotta go. And Spider-Man's like, okay, cool. Like you guys go. I'll just make sure that the like the authorities pick up Hydro Man down here in this bubble that you guys made me. Like, you guys do what you got to do. And, like, even T'Challa, like, he doesn't really ever suit up and, like, fight. Like, it's... Right. He, he lets them do their work. And it's like, yes, these girls are the, like, the, the main characters. Like, this is their story. I think the other thing that's also fantastic about a lot of the way this comic or this run deals with Wakandans are... They are always Wakandan wherever they go. Mm-hmm. And so I love the X-Men storyline that's woven in when they have to use Kurt 
to sort of portal back to the cave in Wakanda. Mm-hmm. He's like, but well, how does this all work? Or what do we do? What do I do? She's like, I just need you to stay here and hold this piece. Like, don't let <laughs> anybody brain. touch it. Don't let anybody touch yeah. it because we're all screwed. We can't get back. This is kind of a doorway. And if you let go, this close to the door. Yes. And that's a problem. You got one job, Kurt. I'm rooting for you. You know, Okoye is like, <laughs> and, but I love how then we're back into the culture of Wakanda in the cave, talking about how that because of this sentient vibranium, your mindset needs to be in a particular place in order to be able to fight it or work with it. Yes. And I just found that to be fantastic. And also one of the things that I definitely wanted to include in the book, we always talk about them being fighters and warriors, but what about that is mental, mm-hmm. you know? the mental capacity of meditation and being able to work with this type of vibranium. We kind of always look at the people with powers, but a lot of the Marvel characters that fascinate me are the ones that don't necessarily have powers like Tony Stark and like Riri Williams, but people who get to use the technology and the things around them like Shuri to create something really special. And so I was I was excited to explore that and how that's woven into the culture of Wakanda. Yeah, to that point, it also makes those characters really more fascinating and interesting as heroes because they don't have the same powers. Maybe they have some technology or whatever and great training, but they are still rushing headlong and fighting Doctor Doom. They are protecting, you know, the the lands and the worlds from from any number of you know horrible horrible nightmare things so that like that level of heroism is really interesting to to think about explore and figure out how did they get to that point where they can stand up and go okay that thing is a nightmare and i have like a bunch of vibranium and some great training and my sister's with me let's do this that's intense. yeah it is and and i and there's a level of respect there because Storm is in that second issue and mm-hmm. she could have ended this all very quickly by basically taking all the oxygen out of her lungs and like problem solved. You know what I mean? But she didn't do that. She was like, listen, let the sisters handle what they got. Let's just work on saving New York while right. they're doing that. <laughs> Christopher Priest really not only introduced the Dora Milaje, but it introduced the nuance. One of the things that I loved about that, and I loved about your book too, because you hid an Easter egg in it about it, but Queen Divine Justice is a character who is a, a, a Dora Milaje, essentially, but wasn't in Wakanda. She was, like, safeguarded in Chicago with her yeah, grandma. she was here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ends up being another Dora Milaje, like, guard. And it introduced a little bit of nuance to this idea of, like, what the Dora Milaje are. Like, is it a choice? Is it something that you have to do? Is it, like, something you inherit? Something that you are, like, obliged to do? And, like, she really challenges it, but not to the extent that, like, Nakia does. And both of those storylines kind of just never really got put to rest. And it's like your book and uh, this this three issue arc, um, which if you you can't you can find it on Marvel Limited. I meant to say this earlier. You can find it on Marvel Limited, but also it's collected in a trade. So if you want all three issues together, highly recommend you track down that trade. The thing that I liked was it, it opened up what the rules were to the Dora Milaje. Like yes, they are in theory like potential brides for the king of wakanda but that's not the priority here like there is a lot more honor to this path there's also training involved it's not like you just become a dora milaje and you have to deal with it like there's a lot of rigorous training there's a lot of different tiers to it you know different jobs within it 
it opens up the idea of like what a Wakandan can be and like not that exactly. like everything is so monolithic or like just well i i think one thing and it, going back to the christopher priest run you were talking about one thing that i was also fascinated by in my research was voices who's telling the story mm-hmm. so ta coach run black panther's telling the story t'challa's telling the story but so is so is shuri and also so so is ramonda but when you look at christopher priest run he told the story through everett ross eyes mm-hmm Someone mm-hmm. was like, well, how are you going to not make them children? I'm like, well, they weren't children in Christopher Priest's run. Ever, Everett Ross thought they were. Mm-hmm. They were in their early 20s. And someone said, well, how are you going to prove that? I'm like, you've never met a black woman that doesn't look our age? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing to explain. He just didn't know what he was looking at. Yeah. So, And then it was very important to tell the story from Dora's point of view. Yes. Because we'd only heard all of these stories from... You know, the, not just the male point of view, but for other people. And so um, a lot of the things that you were talking about, like their training, like, yeah, they might go into the school at 13, but they're not coming out until they're 20. Right. Like, you don't just get recruited and then they throw you in the field. That's yeah. not how it works. And um, one of the things that you mentioned about Asura, you know, Queen Divine Justice, when I had read that run years ago, I remember flipping through the comic and flipping back going, there's a royal Wakandan that was tasked with taking care of this child? Yeah. That's Adora. Like, she was always Adora to me, but they never said it. And so that was one of the things that I was able to make canon in my book. And I, I was like that. waiting for Marvel to make that say, like, I couldn't do it. And they were like, oh, no, that's fine. And I was like, okay. You know, and I was really excited about that. And then also a lot of the layers of different people, like, even though the book is a manual, it is supposed to be passed down from elder Dora to younger Dora. So once you graduate, you take your collected tome and you give it to a younger Dora that is just starting her journey. And there is a page that I, what you know, when you're writing a book, a lot of stuff has to get edited out. And there's one thing that got edited out that I hope if we ever get a deluxe edition, I can put in. But in my mind, the book is found at the end of that Coates' run, when the war has ended, all versions of Killmonger <laughs> are are gone, finally. And until they're not. Right, until they're not. Until um, and then we also have all of these people. Now we have Wakanda Prime, and now we have the intergalactic Wakanda. Right. So you've got immigrants from not just outside the country, from other universes. And the school has not been open since the death of the headmistress, which happened in World of Wakanda. So, and the book was found. Like mm-hmm. one of the Dora, uh, Dora who had passed on had saved it and Okoye finds it and it is her impetus to like, okay, we have to start this school again. Mm-hmm. We are naming a new headmistress and I want all of the existing Dora to annotate this one so we can start this process again and that was it didn't make it in the book but that was sort of my mindset when i I was creating it and it's just i think it's very important when we hear stories to know who's telling the story one of the things that i was very fascinated was when you showed the lineage of the black panther i literally have it opened right now up to the chapter where you're talking about nahanda the wise and it that it's like a short paragraph. It's the most Game of Thronesy like paragraph in the entire book, and I mean that with like you know, 
like I love Game of Thrones and I mean it as much as a compliment. And the minute I read this paragraph, I was like, I, I need this book. Like I need, I want, I want to know what happened here because like you said, the thing that's the most important is who's telling the story. And if it's, if it's written by someone who's not that person who did the thing, like you can interpret it in so many different ways. Like if you're the outsider, like Everett K. Ross in Christopher Priest's run, you can interpret things in a way that makes sense to you, but not necessarily what it actually is. It's a, it's a cultural thing. But when I read the line in your book where, where it talks about her building the door of Malaj, I was like, I can I can already see this be like, of course, someone's going to have an issue with a, a female Black Panther um, or a queen. And the way that she gains the the throne isn't necessarily mm-hmm. like a traditional way. Like even when she hands down, like she hands down the the title. Yeah, it's ritual was, combat. It's yeah. ritual combat, but she was very clear as to who she wanted her successor to be. Yes. And so she kind of like, yeah, all right, I'll fight you here. Tap, tap. You won. Right. Yeah, and then you see later, and I don't want to give this away because I want people to read the book, but then you see later, there's somebody else who decides like, yeah, that's not what we're doing. We're going to make everybody a wife. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's like... And and then and that will lead you into Chris, what Christopher Priest was trying to say in his mm-hmm. run. And that was basically what I was doing. It's just a lot of pulling threads from different storylines and different people that were named. It's an interesting thing because these issues came out in the summer of 2018, the first Marvel Studios Black Panther film comes out in February of 2018, so we're like six plus months after like the like the it, the movie takes over the world essentially and exposes. It was still a, in theaters. It was still you're right. You're right. It was still in theaters, <laughs> and it was still like people captivated. So they're learning about all these characters, and then as we talked about, Nakia has you know is such a va- vastly different character than like the larger world is uh, exposed to, but. It is, yeah. as you mentioned, such a great way to give her uh, some closure and put an end to it and, and show some of that that backstory and different things here. And I also there's one moment in the book that I absolutely like cracked up at is when the the Dora go sightseeing around New York City. Oh, and my God. I love that. I loved it. My only thing was. Would they really bring their weapons with them in full, like full length spear mode? And they wouldn't. And that's the part, that's something I addressed in my book. I'm like, there are weapons and there are ways of hiding them. And yeah. there's ways of making them smaller. And there's things like that. I was like, she wouldn't be on 42nd and 5th, you know, 42nd <laughs> oh, totally and 9th. Would. Are you kidding would me? That- <laughs> I'd be like, they I, would think like, she's cosplaying. <laughs> yeah. What, what is someone going to do to her? Nothing. Like, I, I like I that rationalism. I like that they were wearing trench coats, though. Like that was funny yeah. over their like Dora gear, and I'm like, and and what's really funny is it, but it wasn't out then, I don't think. But there's cloaking tech mm-hmm. for that they could look like anything. So I was yeah. like, y'all just wanted to look like this on purpose yes. today. <laughs> Absolutely, um, I love that montage sequence, and I love I can't remember which one of the Dora says it, but they're like looking at the Empire State Building or like looking at like the skyline of New York City, and then. She's like, oh, like these Americans think that their buildings are so tall. Like, oh, how yeah. cute. <laughs> yeah, it was very much like, oh, we had something like that about 100 yeah. years ago. <laughs> That's, cute. That's so cute. Like, talk to me when you have like buildings that are floating. And, exactly. Yeah. I want to go back to the Nokia stuff because one of the things that I love about the Dora is that I think differentiates them a lot from other types of like military stories or like war stories is that there's a lot more empathy in the Dora. And when we get to the last issue of this arc, we see it. Like, it's not like they don't go in just guns a blazing. Like, 
they're very tactical, but at the same time, they know that Nakia is their sister. And like, they're not like, oh, she's just evil or she's just crazy. Like, there's got to be more to this. Like, she touched the... Oh, the Mimic Mimic 27. And and because it's also... Because Mimic 27 can't exist on its own. It has to be imbued into something. She has a sacred drum that is imbued in it. And that is a very African thing to imbue an item with mm-hmm. a spirit or a, or an item that belonged to someone that was living. So I think that way that they're trying to lay her to rest and the way that they're trying to bring her down before that happens, they know that once they, she's been connected to this entity for so long that it's actually been putting at bay an illness that she already yes, had. Exactly. And they know when they separate her from it, she'll probably die. But it's very, very important, if you notice, for them to make sure that her spirit and that her like her mind are at rest before she makes that transition. Right. Because they believe in the spirit world. Right. You know, and, they understand like, what happens in Jalia and things like that. Yeah, and it's something that like I love that Nettie like tackled and incorporated in the story. Because it could have easily just been like all right, we got to take Nakia down or like we need to go get this drum and we're going to get it at, at any cost. And it's like, no, it's like you said, it's imbued onto Nakia. Like separating the two is going to be tragic. And before they do that, like they know the complicated history and like they treat her like a human being, which I think is something that yeah. is refreshing in a story like this. I like also that there's emotion in it, though, because mm-hmm. they're also like they're pissed and they're like yes. angry with her and they uh, but as the story goes on they there's that sense of like understanding forgiveness like there is a real uh breath of emotions there's an emotional arc for these characters throughout this story which is is very important oh yeah absolutely annika's not having it annika's like can she just go why are we doing that this? Is my and <laughs> she's the, like i love her because she's just she's singing, like she's saying what everyone else is thinking and it's just like yeah i know but we gotta. She's our sister. We gotta take care of her. And and also, there's also that chain of command. Akoya's like, I'm really not here for your feelings. Yeah. yeah. This is what we're doing. The Dora, I think, were so well represented in this series. These issues are some underrated gems. I yes. think. The thing I found about them too, because I read them when they came out, and I remember rereading them for the Black Panther podcast. But like reading it again after one, after reading your book, it was just, I found it very easy to to get into. Like sometimes I feel like the Wakanda, like politics or like the hierarchy and all that like when you're reading Tanahasi Coates's run it's dense it's very dense and it takes a lot to like you might have to reread things you might have to you know go back and like draw a map or like a family tree or something to kind of make sense of everything this I found very straightforward and I think that that's sometimes like necessary for like the general audience to be able to approach something like this. And I appreciate that. I still have a wall with red string all over it, trying to figure out where everybody is. <laughs> Look, but I had, to, I had to do the same thing for the history of Black Panther podcast. Like there is so many, like that timeline is wild to me. Um, and so, but it really means a lot to me to hear you say that because my goal also, because it's technically a YA book, was to make it very approachable for people that might not have known the comics and but for people who are comic book readers i also wanted to give like you said some of those easter eggs some of those little small things in there that you might like, you um, brought up queen divine justice and that was enough for me to like just immediately <laughs> fall in love with the book i'm like yes yeah, she's my favorite let's not forget about her she's chicagoan like love her um and i was also able to create two characters one is pretty prominent the other one is in in the margins and 
And I also think there's something you said earlier, Jasmine, that I think is also really important. A lot of Black Panther's story and history in the comics isn't just in Black Panther titled comics. Mm -hmm. He was introduced to Fantastic Four and he weaves in and out of Avengers. And, you know, so when you're looking at this history, you're really looking at this, you know, he's also been woven in and out of, you know, obviously X-Men stories. So it, it was just such an interesting deep dive. And then I had to just cap it somewhere. Because I was like, you oh. know, I was, my, my book was, even though it's kind of out now at the same time as Jonathan Ridley's, I did not have any, was not privy to anything he was doing. I wasn't privy to a lot of, I mean, there's so many other books that came out this year, Akoye to the People and things like that. Um, I really like, uh, I tell people all the time, please buy my book, but also uh, please buy Evan Narciss's uh, Wakandan Atlas. And it's so funny because each of us, I was like, I wish I had your book when I was writing mine. Same. Because I was like, had I known, you know, and I didn't know I could use the dinosaurs, you know, things like that. That's what's exciting about playing in this Marvel playground. There's been years and years and years of history and storytelling. And I'm just excited that I was able to add to the canon. Um, and in, and I was inspired by like the, Comics that we just talked about today, Nadia Corfor's comics. I hope somebody's inspired to write some comics based on my book. I'm, I'm, I can't wait to read those. Well, I think there's one person who's going to be inspired because I have a copy coming uh, to my house, and I am going to make sure that this little lady. It's amazing. It's having that this kind of stuff for her readily for her when she's ready for it you know it's she she knows black panther because he's in the spidey and his amazing friends cartoon we i opened up a storm action figure the other day with her from the animated series and she's like i don't know i was like look she shoots lightning out of her hands she's like okay she's kind of cool but she's never really seen storm and i pulled up my phone and i played her some uh animated stuff and she's like oh wow and i was like oh yes see dad of the year Yes. <laughs> the next generation. You know, is... She'll be cosplaying as Storm or the Dora Milaje. But you know what? I really was thinking of younger kids when I was also writing the book because there's some just general tenets. And I've actually had a couple of parents go, you know what? I This is good. Like, I can use this when we're having conversations about, like, life and dealing with difficult people and how to, like, not always fight. There's other ways of solving things, you know? And that was what was also very important to me, too, making sure that you know, we're all adults here and we all talk about all the comics that we've been reading since we were kids, but there's a whole other generation mm-hmm. that their introduction to Black Panther might be the movie in 2018, you know, and they're now just looking for stories and looking for comics and looking for books to read. And that is also what makes me excited. All of the questions that I'd had in my research, I got a lot of them I got to answer in this book. And I'm so excited that everybody's been um, having such a good time reading it. And I and I appreciate you all letting me talk about it. Oh, anytime. Camera, what is the name of that book again? It is Black Panther's Protectors of Wakanda, History and Training of the Dora Milaje. Yes, and it is out now. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Big thanks once again to Kara Mahorn for coming on the show. We're going to hopefully have her on again down the line. Go read those Wakanda Forever issues and get ready for Marvel Studios Black Panther Wakanda Forever on Disney Plus starting February 1st. Go enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that's it for us this week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Kara McGurk-Allison. 
Brad Barton is Polis Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Make sure to email us at pullist at marble.com as well as use the hashtag on Twitter and Instagram, Marvel's Pullist. And you can also, you know, while you're here, make sure you rate and subscribe to the show. Let everybody know what you think of it. It helps other people find the show when you give us those stars. So please drop a review. Yeah. Big thanks to Kara for uh, helping out on the show the past year. But Kara is going on doing other shows for us here at Marvel. So thank you, Kara. That's it. We got to go. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. Also, side note, because it's your birthday this week and you thought we were going to get away oh, with right. not saying it on the show. And I was I was holding out. I was like, I got to make sure we get this in there. So, haha. Happy birthday, Ryan. Thanks. I, I'm yeah. a brisk 28. Wow. So young. I know. How's it feel? Great. I found my high school ID card from 1996, 1997 the other day. They made ID cards back then? Hey, zing, got me. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Was it made of stone? <laughs> like just chiseled? <laughs> this is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>